Okay, well, hey. Grab your seats. We're going to get rolling here. All right. So, being from Cleveland, what is this Super Bowl thing you speak of? What is this? Yeah, we have one Brady in the house. Are there any other Bradys? No, okay, just one. That's impressive. That is awesome. Love it. So, all right. Well, hey, this morning, um, as John mentioned, my name's Jim, one of the pastors here. So we are continuing our series titled Jesus Dream for This Church. And if you'd like to follow along um, and take notes, you can go to our, our church app, which is free on the App Store, H2O Church Orlando, and follow along and take notes on there. So um, we have been in this process of deciphering and discerning what's, what God's will is, and then allowing Him to direct us and join Him in His mission as a community. And that is... Um, that is not uh, my thing, and or John's, or Steve's, or Allison's. It's not our thing. It's really finding out what does God desire, and let's do His thing and partner with Him. And we feel like that is what Scripture calls us to do. And so this morning we're going to talk about um, two two really important words that are difficult to embrace at times in this culture, and that's truth and love. And John used a phrase as we were talking about this, um, that we kind of live in the midst of a time of fading courage when it comes to attempting to live out these two things together. And so let me explain that. It can be challenging to embrace both truth and love. In today's culture, when we start to discuss truth or this is what we believe, then that can get thorny and that can be challenging to communicate things. Um, when, it, when we look at that, that phrase, speaking truth in love, I think it's a lot easier to preach about and encourage and focus on love on one side of the equation. And of course, we absolutely should because Scripture teaches that. But when it comes to communicating on the other side, the other half of that equation, truth, that can be a little more dicey, all right? And so we're in this culture nowadays where to believe in truth or an objective standard or a moral law, and furthermore, a moral law giver or God, like that can be a little bit dicey to walk into that conversation. Um, I think that like when we look at, obviously, we spend time online in the internet, and we see when discussions about um, maybe moral standards or a moral lawgiver or whatever, 
that those conversations can get really angry really quickly. And I know for me, like, I like to post on our, our Facebook page, you know, my Facebook, and I've noticed that if I even, like, touch, even close to a political discussion, anything that might be um, in that realm or some type of discussion about truth, it instantly becomes a charged issue. And I can almost count on it. Like I know that how I say something um, and the way I say it, like instantly I know that bang, 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 bang. Like these are the people that will immediately comment on that. And so that's been discouraging to see that, especially when some of my friends then would then start to argue with each other. And every time I did that, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Okay, I'm going to be really careful. And, and, and fortunately, I will say that at least on my page, that most of the time, if not all the time, it has been my non-Christian friends who have gotten extremely angry and then gone at some of my other friends. And then I see that, and it's just like, oh, gosh. You know, this is not at all what I was hoping for. So I've had this thought, and that is, I don't think I can post, I don't know, ever anything that insinuates that I believe in a truth that might make somebody else uncomfortable. And part of that is that we live in this culture where when we take a stand in some way, you know that we can be accused of being judgmental or hateful. And everybody, like, hatred and bigotry, like, that's the worst. Nobody wants to be accused of that or to be a part of that. And so... Unfortunately, though, I feel like in our culture, if you disagree, that can equal hate. And that's been confusing to me at times because I think, why can't we live in a culture where we can disagree without being disagreeable? And so, um, I have friends that, you know, that I've some that I've grown up with, some that I have friends from college, that they think uh, they're atheists. They think that what I'm giving my life to is a complete waste of time. It's a total mythical fairy tale, and it's a waste. And I've seen that as they've made comments in other places. However, like, for some reason, it's like, that doesn't bother me, though. That's okay if they believe that. So they think I'm wasting my life. That's fine. There's no reason for me to be angry about that or to be upset with them. That's just their perspective. But unfortunately, it does seem like when we get these different ideas that there's anger and then people are upset at each other, and I just think it does a number on us where we're just really afraid to touch anything. And then everybody gets silenced, sometimes on both sides, 
And then we don't really have any really good dialogue. Okay? So, recently, like within the last week or so, and I'm not going to show this video, but probably a lot of you have seen it. There was um, a clip from um, a discussion over late-term abortion. How many saw that short clip, that video with um, a congresswoman who was responding to some questioning? How many saw that? So a few. Okay, it's caused kind of a firestorm of controversy and discussion. And honestly, as someone who believes in the sacredness of human life, that when I first saw that clip, I was stunned as to what I heard. I was stunned. And, um, and initially, I thought, well, I wonder if this warrants some type of response. And then immediately, there was this angst and anxiety, like, oh, no, do not comment or talk about this in any way. And I did need to slow down, too, and just say, okay, so what was really going on here? What's the full story? And I needed to do some research also. And this isn't to spark a debate about that, but the bigger thing that I noticed was that I immediately felt this angst and anxiety about maybe communicating why I believe life is sacred, why I think when we call the shots as humans, when we determine what's valuable and invaluable in other humans, <clears throat> it's a mess. It has been a mess for centuries when we call the shots. And so... That, though, just the thought of posting something like that was like, ugh. So it's tough to stand the message of Christianity at times. It's really tough to communicate. Jesus' message was exclusive. He said, I'm the only way to God. That is offensive in today's culture. Some would say that's dangerous to think that way and to communicate that to others. But that's what Jesus taught. That's what he believed. That's what he lived out. And that's part of the reason he was so offensive then. Like, it has not changed. And so, yes, at times you hear, like, okay, biblical beliefs and truth um, is under attack. And... As Christians, we may be marginalized or we're, or we're told, like, go ahead, you can hold those beliefs that you have, but just keep them to yourself. Keep that private. Don't go public. Well, I don't think that's anything new at all. That's not a new thing that we all of a sudden are being, you know, like, dealt. That has always been the case. Jesus' words were a stumbling block for people. It was difficult 
when the gospel said that like you will be forgiven and saved based on what I do, not on what you do. And all the religious people are like, what? Our relig- like all of our rules and laws, that isn't what matters? It's to believe in the one he has sent. That was offensive. And so we have this struggle between truth and love. Maybe one of the bigger concerns for us is not out there when it comes to communicating truth, but it's right here in the church. We have this angst and anxiety and fear I know that I experience that wells up whenever I think about discussing like cohabitation and living together sexuality, um, getting drunk, sex before marriage, finances, whatever. There are certain topics that Scripture teaches about that Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about. But when I think about even just bringing it up, you know, I mean, we've all gotten to that point. And so that famous verse that we're going to talk about, speak the truth in love, a lot of times just doesn't get obeyed because what we're really worried about is that, well, we've kind of transformed that verse into don't be judgmental and don't bring it up. And so we don't speak truth to each other and in turn, we're not really loving each other well. Often, we'll see things in others' lives that don't line up with Scripture, and we simply say, nothing to see here. It's not my life. It's none of my business. And then, of course, we ask, like, who am I to even bring anything up? Well, the Apostle Paul, he said, imitate him as he imitated Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, he didn't take that tact. Like, he has entire letters written to churches prying open the believer's lives. He doesn't sweep sin under the rug. He wants to help them overcome sin. He doesn't want to enable them to hide it. I think one of the things that Paul was really clear about was like, guys, our commitment to Jesus, as he wrote to the churches, our commitment to him is going to cause us to live and operate differently from the culture around us, and we will not look the same to outsiders. We will look different. And so a really important question for us to ask ourselves is, are we enablers of each other, or do we speak truth? And do we speak truth, and here's the important point, in love. I can think of times where I've spoke truth, and it hasn't been in love, and it was a mess. It didn't go well. So, that needs to be there. Here's why. None of us wants to be the jerk that speaks about truth without love, okay? We've all met that guy. 
He's really quick to criticize the church's every action and everybody else is usually very willing to try to remove specks from everyone's eyes while he's got a log in his own. Those are the most annoying people to be around, aren't they? Totally. None of us want to be that person. Okay? Reminds me of, of this um, word picture from Scripture, and I'm gonna go, I am going to borrow uh, Keith's drums here just for a second, okay, and show you my skills, okay? Yeah, oh yeah, pretty incredible. All right, watch this. I heard, oh no. Okay, ready? Here we go. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Now, that was terrible to listen to, okay? I'm sorry. But that's what Scripture says. Someone who's got lots of knowledge and can share truth but does it without love is like a clanging cymbal. So knowing how to communicate is really important. You know, and, and I'm going to brag about Keith here. Have you noticed that when he plays, we don't have the cage around him? One, he's in tremendously good looking, so we have to, you know, his wife's like, that's right, got to let me see him. He looks so cute up there playing. Well, but it's also because he's got a ton of experience. Now, there's a lot of drummers that can bang and thrash, and certain types of music, you know, asks for that, calls for that. And he could do that all day if he wanted to. But he's one of the few that because of his experience and his maturity in playing drums, he knows how to really play light and really bring it up. So we don't need a shield for him because he's got that kind of experience. That's rare. Really important point is that that stick in my hand, awful. Makes you say, oh no, as soon as he picks it up, right? But Keith, we could listen to him play all day and sound awesome. So, that's right. Drum solo following afterwards, okay? So, so hearing that person that speaks truth without love, it's like nails on a chalkboard. And none of us want to be that guy or gal. So here's the problem. I think we swing the pendulum too far the other way, and we just go mute. And we don't say anything. And I think a healthy community lovingly shares and reminds each other of truth continually. Continually. With some basic understandings, I think we can all agree here at H2O, all of us are messed up and broken. All of us. None of us have arrived. We all have struggles. Everybody's nodding their heads because we're all like, absolutely, we know that. Well, Let's just be honest. We're just trying to follow Jesus and help each other along the way, not judge each other. 
It's really about being each other's best cheerleaders and helpers. We're not made to do the Christian life on our own. That's why we talk about life groups. So we have a safe place for us to unpack our junk where we can love and encourage one another and help each other throughout the week. So um, I've played a few different sports over the years and have been around some national championship teams like as a player, and I've coached for about 15 to 20 years, which I couldn't believe that as I was adding it up. I was like, oh my gosh. And I've noticed this really interesting dynamic around all the best teams that I've ever been around. They have one thing in common. They have tons of coaches. And what I mean by that is the players coach each other. They're consistently putting their heads together and talking about their progress and what they did well and also their errors and they're trying to help each other get better. So there's this accountability that I've seen with those teams. And, and that word in the church, like we pay a lip service, but we don't do it enough. So these teams that have players that are accountable to one another make huge progress. Because when the coach isn't even around, they keep each other accountable. They don't let each other slack off. And they encourage one another. Like, wouldn't the modern church, like right now, if we held each other accountable and we're really committed to being cheerleaders and loving one another, wouldn't we all be different? I think so. Now, this deep truth that's awesome about following Jesus together is that what characterizes our relationships is love and truth and grace. Like forgiveness and understanding for and with one another. Think of that verse that says We've, we love because Christ first loved us. That that enables us to love others. That's the kind of community that I think we want to be a part of. I don't think we want to be a part of a community that says, I don't care that that's going to hurt them. That's their life. That's their business. It's not mine. I don't think we want that. I think we want to be in a community where we take personal responsibility and we take responsibility for one another too. And that's not just speaking truth, that's loving them, serving them, giving to them, listening to them, letting them rant to you, praying for them, and encouraging them. There's so much more than just a Sunday time. If you think attending Sundays alone is what Jesus died for, this hour and a half, no way. No way. He wants to see your life, your relationships, your inner being transformed. And that will not happen just solely during this time. So, as we mentioned, this fading courage to embrace love and truth, it's just harder to live both when culture says, don't judge, 
and has tolerance as its highest virtue. And we all know there are some churches and communities that can lean towards being all accepting, everything's fine, whatever, and then others that are all truth and it's just legalistic and oh my gosh. Um, I think it can be lived out. Love and truth because it can and it has been lived out. Jesus is our model for this. Think about this. Think about this. This is really important. Jesus sees our sin more clearly than anyone. And yet he loves us more than anyone. Jesus sees your sin more clearly than anyone, and yet he loves you more than anyone. Both live together. That is the type of community that we are after, where we don't hide or ignore our junk, but we're open and we love each other through it because we're all in it together. Like we said, we all have our stuff. Now, as pastors, our goal is to equip you guys for works of service and to grow in the knowledge of the truth of God. And that unifies us together. We're going to look at a couple verses here. When we do that, we grow together, we labor in unity, and we express our gifts, we invest our time, and we give to the cause together. So in Ephesians 4, it says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What a great section of Scripture. As we strive together in complete unity, what is the result according to this? Maturity. Speaking the truth in love produces maturity. We grow in all these areas, and everybody gets supported in the process. This body has all these ligaments and tendons that work together, and they support one another. Man, that's, that's exciting to think that that's God's goal for our church is for us to mature and grow together. I saw this, um, this phrase the other day, and you guys have probably heard it a bunch of times the first time I had seen it. 
not sure how I've walked the earth for as long as I have and missed this. It's not that somebody has to do everything. It's that everybody has to do something. It's not that somebody has to do everything. It's that everybody has to do something. And I think, man, when the church, when we're all contributing, when we're serving with our time, we're using our spiritual gifts, we're giving financially, it's, man, it's pretty. Like, it's a beautiful picture of how the church works together. In Philippians, Paul says this, whatever happens, Philippians 1, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. God is going to protect you. Now, here in the context, they're talking about though they were potentially going to be persecuted physically, like there were going to be things that they were immediately going to have to deal with. But it still holds true for us that there's fear of what and who might oppose us. And he's just reminding them, hey guys, no matter what, it may look like you're losing, but you win. God protects us. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So they're talking about our faith that we've lived for and that we are now following Jesus like it is causing suffering. Yes, that's part of the package. You will be persecuted. You will have to suffer. And it may look bleak, but it's not bleak. And so they held on to this hope in the midst of persecution. So another thing about this truth and love together is when we embrace both relationally with each other, it builds tight unity and close friendships. Not the opposite. I know our concern is like, if I bring things up or whatever, or we really challenge each other in the faith, it's going to get tense and, and we're going to have issues and we're going to be at odds. I think of the people that I'm closest with, it's because we've gone toe-to-toe and they have said, Jim, you need to grow in this. Here's what I've seen. My wife has challenged me more than anybody else, and rightfully so. And because of that, our relationships grow closer. What's the first John that says? Um, a faithful brother. Um, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Those are the ones that, that you know, man, those people really love you. Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement, and listen to this, how this, all this speaking truth and love stuff creates unity, not disunity. Listen to the common theme throughout this section, Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There was unity through serving one another and being committed to one another. I love the balance that we see with Paul when it came to his message to all these new believers. First was, hey guys, remember who I am. I'm Paul the worst of all sinners, okay? Just so you remember who this is coming from, the chief of sin. What a great balance. So he encourages them, this is the grace and forgiveness that's been given to me, and I don't deserve any of it. And in light of that, let's grow in these areas. And he challenges them when they fall short. And the result is not, oh gosh, Paul's coming back again. Tension, anxiety. No, it's unity and it's maturity that happens. So for us, church, let's embrace love and truth. Let's extend grace and forgiveness just like Paul did and remind everybody, yep, I'm really messed up too. Let's not look the other way when we see others blowing it. Let's lovingly restore, encourage, and coach each other to keep each other accountable. Let's do that. And then, according to Scripture, we'll grow in love We'll grow in knowledge and we'll express our maturity through service, through using our gifts, and through giving. Let's pray. God, thank you that your word is full of truth, but when I see it really being received, there's wisdom in your truth. God, make us believers that are love one another to the point that we don't just ignore and say that's their life, they can do what they want, but instead we would love one another, challenge one another, and remind ourselves that we're just in this together, and we're all broken and messed up, and that you'd unify us as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a women's ministry called Radiant, and yeah, and they met last night. Um, I think it was probably about maybe nine months or a year ago, Brooke, that you shared. When was, I don't know, around then, all I know is that um, Brooke shared her story of one of the Radiant nights, and my wife came home, and she was like, oh my gosh, it was so good. And she was so proud of her, and she's like, she did such a great job. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm a guy. I missed it. I wasn't there. Can you try to fill me in? She's like, oh, you just had to be there. I'm like, but I can't. 
you know, can you, can you let us in every now and then? So anyway, but I'm, so I'm really excited that Brooke is sharing her story with us. And so with that, Brooke Gotro, here she is. hold it. No, wait, you know what? Whatever, it's fine. This is the worst. Um, this is, don't film this. Um, okay, so yeah, standing up here is uh, very intimidating. Um, I think I underestimated how intimidating, but here we go. Thank you. Also, um, I'm not going to share the same thing I shared at Radiant, so you still have to miss it wherever you are. Sorry. <laughs> Um, so we usually share, someone usually gets up here and shares kind of their testimony of how they came to know Christ. Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Instead, I'm going to share with you something that I've learned. <clears throat> oh, no. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, this is the problem. Okay. So a wise friend once told me, all I need to do is believe that God wants to encourage you and he wants to use me to do it right now. Okay, so I can believe that. So here we go. I needed a mic stand. Okay, so today I'm going to start in the middle of my story. Like, not at the beginning, but in the, this is what's happening right now. It's the rough draft middle of my story. So one of my very, very closest friends completely walked away from her faith. Um, this is one of the things that's caused the last several years of my walk with God to be a little interesting. When something like that happens, people use the phrase, like, um, it shakes your faith. And that's true. It does. But for me, it was also more like a splintering, like, all the way down to the foundation. Someone that I had said intimate prayers with, someone that I had worshipped alongside, no longer believes in God. It really starts to make you examine your own faith. Um, what portion of it do I own? What portion of it is borrowed? how much of it is wrapped up in this community that um, I share. Someone in your family cuts themselves out of this beautiful tapestry that we're all woven into, and all of a sudden there's a hole there. Don't go near it, you might fall in, <laughs> um, but for real. Um, it really makes you think, like, what are the things I need to witness? What are the things I need to experience to lose my faith? Um, when will God abandon me? Where exactly is the edge of my faith cliff, and how do I avoid falling off of it. So I've been on a journey of discovery, which is a really pretty and nice way of saying I've held God at an arm's length while I play the judge. I have questioned every foundation I've ever stood on. I've stripped my faith down to its very bones, gone months without praying, years without cracking open the Bible on my own. And yet, um, God still is pursuing me. Um, God still shows up. He meets me in worship, gives me visions, grants me peace. And that's not to say that because of my heart posture and my actions, I haven't felt very distant from God. I, I have. I've at moments felt completely alone and abandoned by God. But what I've realized is that that is and always has been a choice. Um, that was something I chose to do. I numbed my spirit. I turned away. It was always just a perception. God was never actually distant. 
I debated over and over sharing this with you guys because technically I'm kind of like a leader here. I have a small group. My husband leads worship. <laughs> I like to think we're how to be a good Christian couple 101. Um, but of course, things are never really that simple. Uh, the truth is I have passionately ran from God and I have had moments and nights of deep, deep mistrust of God. And that doesn't really paint me in the best of lights, but I don't want this to be about how you see me, but about how you see God. So what is the promise? <laughs> God has never, will never, and can never abandon you, no matter what. In fact, he'll go one further and he will do the pursuing. Um, amen, that's good news, right? <laughs> okay, all right. So I know that I'm very much in the middle of my story. I feel that um, fully. God is not done with me yet. I am raw, I'm unpolished, and I'm right on schedule. <laughs> so I lost my verse here. Where is it? <clears throat> I'm going to share this verse. <laughs> Philippians 1.6. And I am certain that God who began a work within you will continue his work until it is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That's promise number two. God who began this will see it finished. So I asked the band to play a song because I know a guy. And <laughs> I asked him to play Reckless Love. And if you're familiar with the song, by now you probably know why. <laughs> My friend walking away from her faith is really, it's just one of a lot of reasons that I found myself on this journey. Because living in this world can make being a Christian feel like it's literally impossible sometimes. I don't know that all of us will experience these splinterings or these giant cracks in the foundations of our faith. But for those of us who do, I am confident that God will not leave it there. He will chase us down. He will seek us out. And there is no way that we can be lost when he calls us found. All right. Amen. Amen.